So have you ever been disappointed? Not so much. <laughs> Not that you want to admit. I want to take you back to the 2007 Astros. And I'm not talking about the Houston Astros, I'm talking about the Alhambra Little League Astros. It was the team I decided to coach with my buddy Art, my little boy Caleb was on the team, and I decided to coach the team, there's Caleb, he's now taller than me, but I still outweigh him by about 50 pounds, so there's that. <laughs> but uh, Art and I decided to take the, the helm of the team, and, and we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we both helped other teams before, and as things began to unravel, we found ourselves losing game after game after game. And the kids were getting more and more disappointed. In fact, Art came up to me one time and said, I don't know if the kids can handle one more loss. And then he said something even worse. He said, you know what, I don't think I can handle <laughs> even one more loss. And I decided to pull these kids together. At this point, we're one and eight in the season. And I looked at these kids, their sad little faces, and I reminded them of something that I hoped would turn around our season, something they would remember maybe for the rest of their life. I told them, kids, we all face disappointment, and who we become depends on how we respond. And right then, little Miguel, who'd been asking me to pitch all season, once again said, can I pitch? It was as if he had not even heard my compelling speech. But something did amazing uh, happen. We actually started to win. In fact, we beat four of the teams that had already beaten us, and then we were in this critical game against the best team in the league, the hated Yankees. <laughs> Yankees are hated in every division. And we were playing them and it was two to zero and we had one kid on, it was our last time up and the next two kids up to bat were batting a combined 150. Which if you know anything about baseball, that's bad. But even worse, after those two kids were five kids who had never even gotten a hit all season. And so the first guy gets up with a guy on first, his name was Trevor and I'll never forget, that kid, somehow that bat hit that ball and he got a triple. And now it's two to one, they're up, but we've got a man on third and only one out. And Caleb gets up and Caleb, ah, oh, I love my son, but he was not our strongest hitter. And he gets up left-handed bat, but he has a small strike zone, which really intimidates the pitcher. And so he somehow remarkably swung, I think his eyes were closed and the ball <laughs> went through the first and second baseman and we scored a run, it's tied, Caleb's on first. Pass ball, Caleb ends up on second, and then Carlos is up. Now Carlos has not gotten a hit the entire season. It's two to two, this is our last chance to beat the Yankees. There's one out, Carlos comes up and he gets the best hit of his life. He may have never gotten a hit after that. He certainly hadn't gotten one before that, but it scored Caleb. We were now up three to two. Carlos was so excited. After he ran by first, he comes running back to the dugout so we could celebrate our victory. <laughs> but the game was not over. And they tagged him, he was out. Another out. The other team now has time to get back up to bat. But see, I had a secret weapon. Art's son, Artie. He was small, but he could throw strikes. But not only that, when he was born, he, he, his hands were webbed. 
and he had had multiple surgeries to fix it, but at this time in his life, he had longer fingers than any child on the planet. And when he would throw a strike, it would do things that balls weren't supposed to do. I put him in, and we ended up striking out the last three. We beat the Yankees. It was amazing. Yes. Somehow we kept winning into the playoffs, and we get to the championship game against the Yankees. And in that game, we're, we're neck and neck. We're doing well. Unfortunately, Artie had another hand surgery, so he was out. But we, we went four innings. We're in the fourth inning, and our, our second best pitcher had done so well. We're still in the game, and so I had another secret weapon. Our catcher could pitch. So I switched him to pitch in the fourth inning. Well, the coach of the Yankees protested. You can't do that. He said, the rule says a catcher who's played four innings cannot pitch. And I said, he hasn't caught four innings. He's caught three and a third innings. I said it kind and godly. And, and the umpire didn't understand, you know, couldn't make a decision, so he went to the board. The board had two parents whose kids were on, guess which team? The Yankees. They decided that our catcher, Alex Flores, could not pitch. So there was only one kid left to put in, Miguel. And we got crushed. We lost. I thought this could be a season turned into a movie, maybe a documentary. But instead, it just ended in disappointment because I did not know what I was doing. I lacked experience and I lacked connections. Now, maybe you've had moments of disappointment. If only I'd switched him one out prior, after the third inning, right? But see, this is a silly disappointment, although it still haunts me, as you can tell, to this day. <laughs> But if we were honest about the disappointments we carry into this room, there are things far heavier than a little league baseball season. Some of us come carrying the weight of disappointment from parents who never seem to see us or abandoned us or abused us. Some of us come carrying disappointment from people that we thought cared for us who betrayed us or having a career that doesn't seem to be meaningful, seems to be just paying the bills but killing your soul or maybe you come carrying a diagnosis or the weight of a loss. See, if you are a human being, you will face disappointment and we're not going to end with that thought. Because in the midst of disappointment, there is a longing within each of us for hope. In fact, disappointment is directly connected to hope. We can't live without hope, therefore we always live within reach of disappointment. But you know, in the scriptures we see that even those who walked closest with Jesus experienced disappointment. They know what it's like to experience loss and to have their hopes dashed. In fact, at this point in the story, in Luke chapter 24, we discover some disciples who have realized that Jesus was a great disappointment. Some of them had sold their possessions and goods and had traveled around with Jesus, seeing him teach with authority and bring healing to people. But suddenly, everything went totally wrong. 
The Messiah, the one they expected to rescue them, has now been betrayed, arrested, forced into a trial in the middle of the night, never putting up a fight. What began as a celebration on Palm Sunday ended with a corpse on Friday. Their Messiah was dead. Everything they'd hoped for seemed to be gone in a horrible night. It was in the midst of that disappointment, that pain, that discouragement. On a Sunday morning that a group of women bust through the door saying, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now of all people, the, the disciples in that room you'd think would have the best possibility of believing this miracle, of accepting what has come to their attention from these women who'd encountered an angel and an empty tomb. But verse 11 in chapter 24 of Luke says this, but these words seemed like pure nonsense to them, and they did not believe them. I can imagine these guys looking back on this now and saying, you know, that may not have been my best moment, but that's exactly where they were. The grip of disappointment goes even further. Verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them, these disciples, were going to a village. They took off, left Jerusalem. They were going to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking about and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now this is bizarre. They are in mid-conversation, perhaps a heated debate, a passionate exchange, and in the middle of it, Jesus walks up. Have you ever walked up on someone talking about you and they didn't know you were there? <laughs> this is a moment where Jesus could have clarified things, where they could have celebrated, and yet they were unaware that it was him. There could be a couple reasons, perhaps the resurrected Jesus looks a little bit different. Or perhaps disappointment keeps us from seeing clearly. They had no expectation that Jesus was alive. They did not believe the reports from the women. They were stuck in their disappointment. See, disappointment keeps us from seeing things as they are because we're looking for a different version of reality. Disappointment keeps us looking backwards to what should have been rather than paying attention to what is actually happening. See, I think it's really easy to do this with God. God is probably the subject of more abuse than anyone in history. Anytime something goes wrong, we think he should have done something. We think he should have stopped it from happening. He should have showed up. He should have prevented it. Even in the midst of legitimate disappointments, it's easy to complain, vent, or mourn about what God has done or hasn't done, never realizing that he's often right there with us, listening and walking with us, perhaps grieving with us, perhaps in a form we don't recognize. I wonder, do you have a negative filter? Do you see things through this negative reality? Are you hearing everything and seeing everything through a negative filter? It's like the men I know feeling like their families would be better off without them. 
or the women who feel like they will never find what they're looking for, or the kids feeling like they were never loved. Even if it's not true, we begin to believe it. And these two disciples weren't walking down this road of disappointment alone. You can give it to them in that way, that they were together. These two disciples weren't trying to tackle disappointment by themselves. See, disappointment is a heavy weight, and people, people often drown trying to carry it alone. The disciples were walking with each other. They were confused. They were hurt, a bit raw, but they weren't alone. See, when it comes to disappointment, when you find yourself in the midst of disappointment, don't go it alone. You and I, we need help in those moments. Maturity knows when to ask for help. When you are disappointed, talk with someone that you can trust. Share what you're feeling. Walk alongside others you know are disappointed. And remember, it doesn't get better overnight. Let others speak the truth to you to help you see what you're missing. Have the courage when someone else is struggling to help them see what is real. Help them get past the negative feelings. That's why every Sunday we, we remind you there are people here on either side to pray with you. Sometimes it's someone else that you don't even know that, that can give you a perspective you just have lost. That's why we talk about serving others with others, having other people in your life that you can share what's going on and they might be able to help you see what's possible to borrow hope from them when you don't have any. Or sharing with someone in your life group or with running partners. Let other people into your life. Verse 17, Jesus says to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And this next verse says it all. They stood still looking sad. Jesus asks them a question. He doesn't announce his arrival, he sees them in the midst of their sadness and he wants to listen. He doesn't tell them what they ought to feel. He doesn't berate them for the feelings they have. He just meets them right there in the midst of their sadness which has kept them stuck. Standing still. Isn't that how disappointment works? Things seem to be going smoothly, then all of a sudden, something terrible happens. It seems to take every thought and dream and hope that you had for the future and just deleted it. And now all you have left are options you would have never wanted. When you're disappointed, when you're stuck, we feel this bubbling up inside of us that it wasn't supposed to go like this, that she was supposed to be faithful, he was supposed to be here, I was supposed to watch my child live a long, strong, healthy life. See, the power of disappointment is its ability to keep us stuck in the past, demanding what should have been. And I think Jesus knows this about us, about his disciples. They may have been walking to Emmaus, but they weren't going to be able to truly move on. Luke 24 says it this way. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Jesus asked them, what happened? The things about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I, you can't help but chuckle in this moment. I mean, don't you just 
wish that in that moment Jesus would have revealed himself right then. Cleopas is like, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? Jesus could have stepped in and said, I happened. <laughs> it was me. I'm alive. Can't you see? But instead, in that moment, he once again asks a question. He's trying to draw out their disappointment, helping them vocalize and process what's happened. In the end, they had no idea that in that moment, they were praying. They were talking to God. They were telling him how they felt, how disappointed, how hurt they were. They don't recognize him, but he is loving them. He is serving them. See, in the midst of your disappointment, talk honestly with God. If disappointment is ever going to be overcome in our life, it requires us to talk with God about what actually happened, what we wanted to have happened, and acknowledging that we are disappointed, that we are hurt. Now, some of us are really bad at this. And if I could just pick on one particular part of the crowd, men, we are terrible at this. And oftentimes, I grew up thinking that, you know, Bryant men, we have two emotions, sleepy and angry. And one of those is not even an, an emotion, right? But as I've grown up, I began to realize that, that often behind that anger is anxiety. Often behind that anger is, a, is an inability to control the situation. Often behind that anger is a sense of pain, of hurt. Take the time to process why are you so angry. Some of us are on the verge of hulking out at all times, turning green and ripping our shirts off, right? But what's so beautiful is we see in the scriptures that this is a common practice to, to be open and honest with God about how we feel. If you've ever read the Psalms, you've probably seen a theme. Often, King David was in the midst of lamenting his circumstances, complaining to God about how things have gone so poorly. Oftentimes, he's so honest, it actually shocks us. At times, praying that God would take the enemy's babies and dash them to the ground. That's a mean prayer. God did not say yes to his prayer, but David felt better praying it. But every one of those psalms, it's remarkable how they start with such angst and anger and end with David acknowledging that he can trust God, that he can praise God no matter what enemies may be coming. It, it reminds me of a Nirvana song from the early 90s. Every Nirvana song starts slow and soft and builds to be angry and loud, right? Every psalm is just like that. Or, or to use another early's reference, uh, early 90s reference, just to make sure you know how old I really am. Do you remember Forrest Gump? A, a great moment of being honest with God was Lieutenant Dan. Forrest gave him two syllables to his name, right? Yelling at God on the ship. And then after, you see just a sense of peace. See, God is big enough to take on your emotions, to take the disappointment. Be honest with God. Talk to him. Pray, letting him know how much pain you might feel. Let him be there for you. Don't let tragedy and disappointment turn you away from God, but turn you towards God. Jesus is asking questions. He's listening. He's able to help them get to the root of what's going on. 
And they express it this way. Here's why they were hurt. Here's why they were disappointed. Verse 21. But you don't understand. We had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. What he did not realize is Jesus had redeemed Israel. That in fact, Jesus had done more than he could have ever imagined. Bringing redemption to every person on the planet. Whoever says, yes, I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. That Jesus was alive. The end of the story was not Friday. It continued with a new life on Sunday. See, Jesus had done even more than these disciples could have ever hoped for, but it did not look like they had expected. See, our disappointments threatened to trap us in the expectation gap. A pastor named Stephen Furtick is the first person I heard use this phrase, but it's common to all of us. Our hopes, especially about what God will do, take on the form of an expectation, which becomes more like an equation, something like this. Since God loves me, he will fill in the blank. Since God loves me, he will take away this pain. Since God loves me, he will heal my dad. Since God loves me, he will stop this evil. Now, many times these are good things, but hope in God Trusting that he will act for good in our life gets replaced by a narrow expectation of God. And that's where we get trapped. You see, an equation could be read two ways. Since God loves me, he will fill in the blank. Can also become, since God didn't do fill in the blank, he doesn't love me. We begin to believe that he doesn't care for me. That he doesn't have the power we hoped he did. And as a result, we are held hostage by our own expectations. And this works the same in our relationships with people, in our circumstances. So how do we deal with this? Being held hostage to disappointment. Well, we surrender our expectations. See, just like the only positive way out of a hostage situation is for the perpetrator to surrender, so it is with us. But see, in this We are the ones holding ourselves hostage, clinging to the past, unable to completely accept the present. The story of the resurrection tells us that God is often right there with us. Perhaps we can't see him, but he's trying to help us move forward. We need to surrender the expectation of what should have been so that we can take hold of what still might be. Are you stuck? in a moment you can't seem to get out of. Holding yourself hostage, holding someone else hostage to their worst moment, to your worst moment. See, I think Jesus was challenging these guys on the road to Emmaus, trying to get them to see the hope he was truly offering. Verse 22, they explained to Jesus, moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. I mean, these men had been walking with Jesus. Jesus actually told them this would happen. 
The prophecies were about the Messiah who would forever reign. And they did not connect the dots. See, they had all the elements of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But their hearts still did not believe. See, some of us have all the information we need about the great news that God loves us, that he came to rescue us, that he gives us new life when we trust him. We have all the right information, but we have not allowed our heart to say yes, to trust him no matter the circumstances. Some of us have a conditional relationship with God. We will trust you if you do this for me. And that's not a healthy relationship. They couldn't hear the good news. They just heard nonsense. See, our disappointments are always meant to be viewed, though, against the backdrop of Jesus' resurrection. See, there's no tragedy, no loss, no disappointment that is greater than Jesus' defeat of death. The resurrection of Jesus is the good news we need in our disappointment. We cannot forget that without the crucifixion, there would be no resurrection. Some of us have areas of our life that need to die so that we can truly live. What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're not hoping in, allowing disappointment to slow you down? Our hope is always well-placed in Jesus. The story of his crucifixion and resurrection shows us that he won't always fit our expectations. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can have confidence that God will not allow sorrow to permanently color your story. There's always reason to hope. There's no reason for us to believe the lie that things will never get better. That we shouldn't get our hopes up. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, expectations will trap us, but a sure hope has the power to dislodge deep disappointment. So how do you get there? How does the news of Jesus defeating death become good news in the midst of our disappointment? Well, we have to remember the story God created us. He gave us freedom, and then he came to rescue us after we messed things up. And we live in a time after Jesus came for us. That means that there is nothing we can do to lose his love or even earn his love. He's already demonstrated his love for us before we ever messed up. The scriptures even tell us that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. These two disciples had completely different expectations of what the Messiah would do. And I think that's our issue as well. Jesus is with us. We just don't see him because we're expecting him to show up in a way that he is not planning to. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project points this out. These two disciples had been celebrating the Passover. The Passover is retelling the story of God rescuing his people from the evil Egyptian empire. So you can see that they would expect the Messiah would rescue them from the now evil Roman empire. But see, Jesus was rescuing us from every evil empire. That he was inviting us into a new invisible kingdom where we can experience peace and love and joy no matter the circumstances around us, no matter what the empire within we live is doing. See, when we choose to follow him, we're a part of this invisible kingdom where everything is upside down, where death brings life. 
where tragedy becomes triumph. See, God can bring good out of even the worst moments. You see, these disciples had the right information, but their hearts were still not open, so they could not see Jesus, even though he was right in front of them. Perhaps God is right there with you. You're just not seeing him. Keep going in verse 28. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Does that sound familiar? That's what he did just before the betrayal. It was in that moment their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. <laughs> they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while we were, he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, the seven-mile trek back, and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. It's a great and wonderful moment when hope enters back into our heart all of a sudden, we have a new perspective, and that long walk of seven miles seems worthwhile. They couldn't wait to share with the others. But don't miss verse 31. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was walk, talking to us on the road? See, when you can't see Jesus, when your disappointment clouds your vision of who he is or where he is, in the midst of your disappointment, follow the burning heart to Jesus. Jesus speaks to us and he speaks to us through the scriptures and through other people and through a song and, and directly into our heart and head. And, and it's different than what perhaps we would expect. It has a different power, a different ring to it. Even if you don't recognize it at first, like the disciples, keep listening, keep pursuing him. And perhaps there's an aha moment just up ahead. I, I want you to think about this for a moment. God wants to speak to each and every one of us. God is speaking to each and every one of us. Here's what's really remarkable. Do you know that 70% of communication between human beings is nonverbal? And so you can imagine there's a lot of misunderstandings. And when you remove face-to-face, -face, it gets even more confusing. Just go to someone else's Facebook feed, right? There's a lot of misunderstandings, but here's something really remarkable. Although God has never spoken to me audibly, I've never been driving and heard, Eric, turn left at the light. That's never happened to me. But something more amazing has happened. Something that's never happened with any human being. There are thoughts that come into my mind that are from God. You know how I know they're from God? Because they are thoughts I would never have. They are really selfless. They require courage, and they're consistent with his character, as we see in the scriptures. The creator of the universe is whispering to you and me, inviting us to trust him, to allow him to take the worst moments we've ever experienced and bring good from them. Earlier, we were singing a song called King of My Heart. And that song has this unusual set of lyrics. We, we were singing the phrase that God is good. And, and we even sang the phrase that you're never gonna let me down. Isn't that ironic? We're singing that on a day we're talking about disappointment. 
Because there are times in our life where circumstances do go awry. We are disappointed. But the reason that song, I think, captures what we're trying to communicate is you can trust God. You can have a faith that's bigger than your circumstances. That that you can actually believe and trust that God will never let us down, that he will only allow those things to happen in our life, that he can somehow bring about good. And that he is with us, he mourns with us when we mourn, and he celebrates with us when we celebrate, that he is with us. See, Jesus didn't come to destroy an oppressive regime. He came to bring us into a relationship with God. Something so much better, something that lasts eternally. He is ours, and we can become his. What painful moment has kept you stuck? either has kept you from trusting God or kept you from trusting others, is it possible that God wants you to take that to him? He is bigger than your worst feelings, than your worst moment, and he can bring good from it. Is your heart open? Let him bring back to life parts of your heart that have been dead. The band is going to sing a song And I want you to take advantage of this moment. Allow this moment to be a chance for you in your own heart and mind to let God speak to you and speak to him. Share with him your struggle, your disappointment. Ask him to give you hope again. Ask him to be your hope, hope personified. Listen to these words and even more importantly, listen to God's heart for you in these moments.